John's Gospel, chapter 13. And as you find your place there, I'd just like to thank you for being here tonight. We've been looking forward to it and praying that the Lord will speak in a very special way, not just to some of us, but to all of us, because we have a wonderful gospel message to consider tonight. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. In other words, anyone and everyone who receives the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel message shall guaranteed be saved. And that's a wonderful thought just to consider. This might be the night that you put your trust in him. In the gospel of John chapter 13, I'm going to read 12 verses and then one more verse after that. And we're going to look at one of the questions that Simon Peter asked. We've been looking at a few of them. We've counted up to four. This is question number five. And you'll see that question in verse six. But let me start in John chapter one, verse, John chapter 13, verse one. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now verse 6, and he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Verse 12 concludes this portion. And it says, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? One more verse in that same portion. Verse 17. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us in his word one more time in a word of prayer. Shall we pray? Father, we pray that this event that took place so long ago would find its ready application tonight, this very night, in the hearts and the lives of those who were in need of having their sins washed away. And also for those who have already put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and just need to have the cleansing power of the water of your word. We pray, Father, that we would know this 
ultimate cleansing work of the blood of Christ, as well as this ongoing cleansing power of the water of your word, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, now there are five things we're going to see in this little portion I've just read. First of all, we're going to see what the Lord Jesus Christ knew. Now, you know, there's a lot of sloppy thinking these days about who Christ is, who the Lord Jesus Christ claimed to be, very God of very God, make no mistake about it. He said he was God manifest or come down in a body. So we're going to see what he knew. Secondly, we want to see how he loved. That was a testimony that was said of him outside the tomb of a dear friend. Behold how he loved him. I want you to know he loves you that same way to the very ultimate and to the very fullest extent. Thirdly, I want to see with you what he did. Because you know, love, just spoken, doesn't mean much. We're to love not just in word, but also in deed. And then fourthly, we want to hear what he said. There was a lot of discourse between Simon Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he said to Peter can be very helpful for each one of us. And then lastly, what we learn. So just those five things that we're going to notice tonight, and each one of them, I trust, will be easy to understand. Because the first one, to consider what the Lord knew. In verse 1, it tells us this. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. I said earlier, I'm glad I don't know how or when I'm going to die. (laughs) I would try to avoid it at all costs. But the Lord Jesus, different than you and me, he knew not only how he would die, where he would die, but he actually knew when he would die. And it was right down to the very split moment, not only the hour, here it tells us he knew that his hour had come, But in the very split second of time, the Bible tells us at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And Jesus knew all that. He knew when his hour had not come. We heard him say that a few times through the Gospel of John. My hour is not yet come. But here he knew that his hour had come. He had stepped in from an island of eternity, from a sea of eternity onto an island of time and an island of space. And the time had come for him to die. He knew that. He not only knew that he would die, but he also knew that there would be someone who would betray him. And he knew that it was Judas Iscariot. He knew all these things. He knew this as well, that the Father had put into his hands all things. Even all judgment had been committed to the Son, that all might honor the Son even as they honor the Father. In short, you can simply say this. Jesus knew everything. Now we see what he knew. I don't know what just happened back there. But we see what he knew in verse 1 and a few more places, like verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. But there's something else. He also, he knew us. And he made a choice in eternity past that he would love us with an everlasting love. Now, if Jesus knows all things, he knows all about you and he knows all about me. He tells us that even the very hairs of our head are all numbered 
He knows us better than we even know ourselves. He says through the prophet Jeremiah that the heart of man is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? I, the Lord. He knows our hearts. Now, if he knows all things, wonder of all wonders, he loves us beyond measure. And that's what we read in verse 1 as well. Jesus, knowing or knew that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. Note the last part of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them. My New King James translation says, to the end. But I want you to know, with an everlasting love, there's no such thing as an end. If there's an end, it's not everlasting. So we have to say, all right, so what does it mean to love someone to the very end? Here's what it means. He loved them and he loves us to the very fullest extent possible. We would say to the uttermost. And someone said, he loves us from the guttermost and he raises us to the uttermost. And that's the way God's love is. Have you ever met anyone in all the world that loved you like that? No, no not whatso- none whatsoever. Who could love like him? There's no love like his. You know, now I love my wife. But I can't love her like the Lord loves her because he knows her, knows all about her. And the longer we've been married, the more I learn about her. And some things aren't so lovable. Did I say that? But you know what she'll tell me? Yeah, I know more about you, too. And I used to love you a whole lot more. And then I got to really know you. And you see what happens. The more you get to know somebody, the less you think of them. Now, how about one who knows us through and through and yet still loves us with an everlasting love to the very utmost, to the uttermost, with an everlasting love that will never change. You never have to worry in the relationship that we can have with the Lord Jesus Christ that one day in eternity you're going to wake up and he's going to say, you know, I don't love you anymore. Listen, the world in which we live is made up of relationships that that happens every day, doesn't it? And people are so disappointed in the love of this world. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. And no one could ever love you more than what the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. We not only see what he knew and how he loved, he proved that love according to what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Here's what it says, that God demonstrated his own love toward us And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, for a number of years in my life, I tried to live a better life so that God would like me. (laughs) And the harder I tried, the worse it got. Finally, I just gave up. And then somebody told me that God loves me just like I am. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And that was such good news. It was a great relief to find that in the Bible, that God demonstrated his own love toward us, that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I talk to people just like I thought myself who will say, well, you know, sometime soon, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and I'm going to start coming to church. I'm going to become a Christian. You know, it never works that way because God said it's impossible for man to work this out on his own. If we come to God, we have to come in one way and in only one, and that's by faith, accepting, believing what he's done for us at Calvary. So we see how he loved. We see what he knew. But let me tell you something else. 
we see what he did, and that proved that love. I have a friend who had a business with billboards. He came up with the idea of single pedestal billboards. You know, they used to be on poles set along the interstate. And he had the idea to make a single pedestal billboard, and they sold them all over the world. It's quite an international business. Warren Hilton's with the Lord now. But before he went to be with the Lord in Augusta, Georgia, he bought the property to put up a billboard just himself, not for a business, but to tell others about the Lord's love. And I'll tell you what he did. He had an artist rendering of a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on Calvary's cross crown of thorns upon his head, blood coming from the crown of thorns, his hands extended and nailed to the cross. And the caption on the billboard said, I love you this much. That's the greatest love in all the world. No other love like it. No one ever loved like he loved. A contemporary Christian author wrote, when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he stretched his hands as far as they would go to in, in Include everyone in his love, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when he stretched his hands and said, I love you this much, they were nailed open to show you that love would never change. He's always ready to receive anyone who would come to him and respond to his love. We not only see what he did, but we see it lived out in a very practical way in this chapter. It was during supper time. That's about the most inconvenient time to do anything, isn't it? Isn't that when those calls come on the telephone, right when you've got supper on the table, and you see the steam rising from the mashed potatoes and gravy, and the telephone rings, and it's, well, it's somebody calling to offer you a special deal you don't want to pass up. <laughs> I had one of those calls one time, and the man said, is this Mr. Trogdon? I said, sure is. He said, I've got a deal for you. I said, I'm not interested. He said, yeah, but you haven't heard it yet. I said, I'm still not interested. He said, yeah, but this deal, you can double your salary. I said, I bet I can, <laughs> but I'm still not interested. He said, not only can you double your salary, you can cut your work time in half. I said, I'm sure that's true too, but I'm still not interested. He said, why not? I said, I've got the greatest job in all the world. He said, yeah, but you could work at home and you wouldn't even have to leave and drive to an office. I said, I'm still not interested. I got the best job of all. Finally, he said, what do you do? <laughs> you know, I didn't know if he was going to bite or not. I said, I have the privilege of telling people like you that God loved you so much. He gave his son to die on the cross for your sins. Silence on the phone. <laughs> you know, it's hard to out, out with those uh, telemarketers. But you know, the message is for everyone, isn't it? When you look at what the Lord Jesus Christ did, you, know, you can't help but appreciate the message of it itself and to tell others what he did for them and what he did for everyone living on planet Earth. Look at exactly how this plays out in a way that they could comprehend. Starting there in verse 4, it says that Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and he he stooped down and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, there's a little background to this because the disciples, Peter and John, they were to go over to this upper room and prepare the room. Probably they were to hire a servant, but they didn't do it because the culture and the practice of that day was when you came to a dinner, 
Since you don't sit at a chair and at a table, but you sit on the floor and recline, dirty feet could be a very embarrassing thing for a nice meal spread before you. And so the servant oftentimes would meet the guests as they came in, wash their feet, and then they'd be ready to be seated. And that was the way they were received. The problem is there was no one to do it. And the reason there was no one to do it is because they were having a little argument among the disciples. You mean the disciples of the Lord Jesus argued among themselves? Oh, you better believe it. They were just like you and me. And here's what they were arguing about. Which one of us is the greatest? Hard to believe anybody would think that, isn't it? (laughs) No, it's not hard to believe at all, is it? I'm sure that Andrew said, well, I called Simon Peter to come to the Lord. I knew the Lord before my brother Simon. And John said, yes, but I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Bartholomew said, yeah, but I got the longest name of all of you. (laughs) And whatever it might be, they were arguing and no one was willing to stoop low enough to wash each other's feet. Now, this is perfect for Yosemite because I'm in the campground and we got a tank of water and you don't want to take a bath every day but you do want to wash your feet. (laughs) This is the dustiest place I have ever been in my life. (laughs) I've been hoping for a good rain just to settle the dust, haven't you? I wiped my shoes off on the way before I left to come over here, and they're dusty already. We need a good foot washing. Who's going to do it? That's the question. And the Lord Jesus got up from the table, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, poured water into a basin, And he began to wash the disciples' feet, and they were astounded. Think of it, 24 dirty feet. (laughs) Two feet would betray him. Two feet would deny him. Twenty other feet would forsake him and flee. And yet, in humility, the Lord showed us what he came to do. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He showed what true servanthood was, but there's a bigger picture here. The bigger picture, I'll tell you in just a moment, but let me tell you what happened when the Lord Jesus came to Simon Peter. Look, if you will, please, in verse 6. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And that was a question that Simon Peter asked. But the question was not really a question, was it? You know, you can make a statement with a question, don't you? Sure you do. We just did it. And his question was really a statement. And I can prove it to you because if you just look a little bit further, in verse 8, The question that is a statement is soon to be a statement that becomes an exclamation. And here's what he said in verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Mm. It was a refusal for the Lord Jesus Christ to wash Simon Peter's dirty feet. Now, I told you I'm going to give you a big picture, so... Don't forget, we're going to move right into this in just a moment. But right here, right now, it is a matter of the will because Simon Peter 
doesn't want the person who's the greatest in all the universe to show his humility by stooping down and washing Simon Peter's feet. That means that Simon Peter, because of the pride of his heart, thinks that he's too good to allow the Lord to wash his feet. I want to tell you what the worst sin is in all the world. And you might be thinking what it might be, but it's not only the worst sin, but it's the first sin. It's pride. The very heart of pride and the very center of pride, even in spelling it, P-R-I-D-E. You got it, didn't you? I am at the very heart of the problem. I am so proud, just like Simon Peter, that he even was to the point of being offended to where he said, you'll never wash my feet. Now, you never want to say never to the eternal God. And Simon Peter said it. A complete refusal, outright. You're never going to wash my feet. Now, I want you to see that the Lord begins to reason with Simon. And he reasons with us. Because when it comes to cleansing, he wants to wash away our sins by his precious blood. But there are people in this world, I used to be one, who was too proud to acknowledge that I needed to be cleansed. Just like Simon Peter maybe just like you, and thought, I don't need the blood of Christ to cleanse me, thank you. And you'll see what happened here. Because God is the most reasonable person in all the universe. He's not going to take you and force you into his family. He loves you so much. He wants you so much. But all he'll do is make an invitation and plead with you to come to him. Now that's a God of love, isn't it? A God also that is holy and just and won't let us come into his presence with our sin, but has to wash us away, wash our sins away so that we can be accepted in his presence. And here's the reasoning that he gives to Simon Peter. In verse 8, when Peter said, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered and said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Can't be a little bit of one or the other. It has to be all or nothing. And when Simon Peter heard that, well, from his point of refusal to the reasoning power of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as God reasons even from the past in the Old Testament, listen to this verse from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, saith the Lord, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now that's reasonable, isn't it? That God would take our sins upon himself and give us his righteousness, his perfection in exchange for our sins. You can't pass up a deal like that, can you? And so he reasoned with Simon Peter. And from that reasoning, Simon Peter made a request. <laughs> Look at his request. Boy, Simon Peter, he bounces off the walls, doesn't he? He goes from one extreme to another. You're never going to wash my feet. And in verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but wash my hands and my head. In other words, give me a bath. Hmm? Give me a bath. And the Lord explained to him very clearly. Look in verse 10. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. Now, here's the whole point. 
There are two cleansings that the Bible speaks about for sin and for our sins. The first primary cleansing is a cleansing that is eternal, can never be changed. And it's a cleansing by the blood of Christ. Here's what the Bible says. We are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Not by tradition, because a lot of people think, well, I'll just start going to church and follow the traditions of my parents and I'll, I'll be a good boy. It's not by tradition, not by buying our way into heaven. You can't pay the price. But it's by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, 1 John 1, 7 says, cleanses us from all sin, once and for all, forever done, and we'll never see our sin again. Now, that's a great eternal cleansing. But even though I took a shower, when I walked over here, my feet got dirty. I'm clean because I got a shower, but my feet got dirty. It's true for the Christian who's been washed in the blood of the Lamb. My sins are all gone. I'll never see them again. I have a guarantee of a home in heaven. All my sins are forgiven. But when I sin, God has a plan for that too. And it's the washing of the water by the Word. How does He do that? Well, He has a very simple approach. It's found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Turn to it if you want. Listen to it very carefully. If we confess our sins, it simply means to say with the same words what sin is. That when I sin, I can't say, well, Lord, I had a little shortcoming here, <laughs> or I made a little mistake. No. When we sin, we have to say, Lord, I've sinned. That's what confess means, to say with the same words. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, again, from all unrighteousness. Isn't that great? So he not only takes our sin away by the precious blood of Christ, but he keeps us clean by the water of the word. And Simon Peter said, nope, not going to do that for me. And the Lord said, if I don't wash your feet, you can't walk with me. You've got to have clean feet. Well, he said, well, give me a bath. And the Lord said, no, you've already had a bath. The bath of the blood of Christ cleanses you completely. But you do need to have your feet washed. So you have a bath and you have a basin. A double cleansing, if you will, of the blood and the water of the word. The blood of Christ, the water of the word. That's not a new concept. One of those great old hymns in our old hymn book, Rock of Ages, states that very thing. It says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Ah, how is all this possible? I told you I was going to give you the big picture, didn't I? Here's the big picture. Look, if you will, because in verse 12, after he washed the disciples' feet, even Simon Peter's, it tells us in verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? That's a good question, isn't it? Here's the big picture. From verse 4, it's as if the Lord Jesus Christ in glory with the Father, sitting at the Father's table in perfect harmony and fellowship 
God the Father with God the Son, rose from the table from the Father and came down to earth, laid aside his garments of glory, took on a towel like the flesh, girded himself in a body so he could come down and die for our sins and to cleanse us every bit. And after he finished the work at Calvary, where he shed his precious blood for the sins of the whole world, he took his garments of glory back and went back and sat down at the table again. And there he is in heaven right now, waiting to see if you will respond. And so he asked the question again in verse 12, do you know what I have done to you? Let me ask you this question. Do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you? Because on the cross, he had you on his heart. When he died for sins, he died for your sins and for my sins. Do you know the Bible says he is the payment, not for our sins only, those who are Christians, but for the sins can you imagine this? Of the whole entire world, that the sins of the world were placed upon him and Jesus paid it all. Nothing else to do. Nothing can be added to that finished work of the blood of Christ shed for my sins and for yours. Do you know what he has done for you? Lastly, verse 17, well, we see not only what he knew, how he loved, what he did, what he said, but the most important is what we learn. In verse 17, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, take it as if he's personally speaking to you tonight. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. He asks you simply this, to respond to such great love. For the Son of God who loved me, loved you, and gave himself for you. Would you respond to that kind of Calvary love? One who would love you that much, enough to die in your place at Calvary, to pay for your sins that has separated you from the most wonderful person in all the universe, God himself. And he takes our sins out of the way so that nothing would stand between you and him. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can come right into his very presence. Would you receive this tonight? What kind of price would you put on that? It's the highest price ever paid for anything in all the universe. It costs the precious blood of Christ. What kind of price would you have to pay for that? None of us could ever afford it. And so God says, I'm going to offer it to you freely. For the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Shall we close in prayer? Our Father, how thankful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ, that sinless sacrifice as a lamb, the lamb of God, who took away the sin of the world by his precious blood at the cross at Calvary. Father, we often sing in that beautiful hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And we can be clean every bit to have our sins washed away. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would save souls that are nearest hell sitting right here or listening to this message. None of us know what tomorrow holds when we're breathing our last breath or the last beat of our heart. But you know, 
And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would convict of sin, because all have sinned, of righteousness, because your Son, the Lord Jesus, is perfectly righteous, and of judgment, because judgment is sure to come. And we pray that responding to this conviction and persuading that those who are here without the Savior will say, Lord Jesus, I receive you. I believe on you. I want you to be my Savior. Wash my sins away through your own precious blood, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I've asked the musicians just to give us one song in closing. And let me just say, if you have questions about what I've been speaking about tonight, or something that's really on your heart about sin, and you want to make it right with the Lord, I'm going to sit right down here, right beside Noah. And if you have a question, there's nothing I would rather do than show you in the Bible how you can have the joy of sins forgiven, a home in heaven, and peace in your heart with God.